0: 29-year-old Beatrix Potter waits in an office at Kew Gardens in London. Her fingers shake slightly, and she tries to fidget with her skirts in order to distract herself. She looked around the office, familiarizing herself with its contents. In front of her loomed the portrait of William Thistleton Dyer, the director at Kew. He was an imposing figure, and Beatrix fully believed was also a misogynist. She had come a few months earlier to deliver her paper on fungal spore germination to Thistleton Dyer in person, but she had an anxiety attack and fled. She shivered, feeling second-hand embarrassment, thinking of the last time she was in this office. This time, however, was different. She was determined to stay for as long as it took. And it took a long time. She was kept waiting for hours and actually started reading the newspaper as the rest of the staff bustled in and out of the office, avoiding her. Eventually, Thistleton Dyer rushed into his office, as if to purposefully brush her away like she was a piece of lint on his tweed jacket. Beatrix was to have none of it. Mr. Thistleton Dyer, I have been kept waiting for five hours, sir, and I demand an audience with you. Well, Miss Potter, I'm a very busy man, and I'll have to reschedule. Sir, you seem to be misinformed about my theories regarding fungal spores and lichens. You think that these subjects are too advanced for me because I'm female. Well, sir, I'll have you know that my ideas will be all in the books in 10 years, whether or not you believe them. With that, Beatrix began laughing loudly and without another word headed out the door, leaving Thistleton Dyer in a fuming mood. This would be one of Beatrix's biggest mistakes.
1: Brains of the people are more interesting than the looks, I think. Electric power is everywhere present in a limited quantity if you really want something and you work hard and you take advantage of opportunity and you never give up.
0: You're listening to Human Angle, a podcast that focuses on the hidden lives of scientists, asking what makes them human. I'm your co-host, Kenna Castleberry, here with my lovely new co-host, Matthew Dale. Matthew is replacing my old co-host, Jackie, as Jackie has become really busy with a large documentary project. We're both sad to see her leave, but excited to have Matthew to be part of the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Kenneth. I know I have some big shoes to fill, but I'll certainly do my best. And thanks to all you listeners. It's amazing that, you know, five months this podcast has now been running, and we've already had over 250 plays to our podcast. You know, that's incredible, and it really wouldn't have been possible without listeners like you. And if you liked today's show, please like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and all your other favorite platforms. Thanks, Matthew. Mm -hmm.
0: Today, we'll be taking a deep dive into the life and experiments of Beatrix Potter. Now, you may be thinking that Beatrix Potter is the famous author of the book, The Tale of Peter Rabbit, and you'd be right, but she was also an avid amateur botanist and mycologist and developed some of the earliest theories on mushroom germination. It's been only recently that she's been acknowledged for her scientific accomplishments as opposed to her literary work.
1: I wonder why.
0: I know. So, tea is about to spill for this episode, just saying. (laughs) So, let's see what made Beatrix Potter tick.
1: Tea, really.
0: <laughs> All tea. She is British.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that's quite how it works. <laughs> mm,
0: okay, British person. <clears throat> 28th of July,
1: 1866, South Kensington. Beatrix Potter was born to Rupert and Helen Potter. Rupert was a talented lawyer who loved painting photography, whilst Helen enjoyed drawing. Both parents were fans of nature and made sure that Beatrix was surrounded by nature at an early age. The Potter family was decently well-off, and Beatrix was educated by three separate governesses. Wow. What?
0: Just three separate governesses. Like, clearly, they're well-off. And they promote women's education!
1: Yay! Yay. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Mary Wollstonecraft must be so proud of her.
0: She must be. She must be.
1: (laughs) She was known to have an incredible artistic talent and inquiring scientific mind beyond her years and gender. But, oh, oh no... It begins.
0: I'm really sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> From an early age, Beatrix learned to fend for herself and had quite a lot of self confidence and esteem, which would serve her well for future years. So um, do we see a pattern here? Because I find it quite interesting. Yeah, like with scientists in high self-esteem, what do you think?
0: I mean, I feel like yes, just mm-hmm. because like in previous episodes, we've mm-hmm. talked about a lot of scientists mm-hmm. who either like don't have an emotional connection with people and it could just be because they're really selfish and have really high self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Or they just feel like they're the ones who need to drive their own discoveries and nobody else mm. can do it the right way that they can. Mm.
1: I guess there's a different dynamic, though, because it's almost like she's been forced to back herself constantly because of exactly presumably what we'll find out later and the stuff yeah. she had to go through. So yeah, kind of makes me wonder how that compares to other scientists we covered, especially...
0: Right, male scientists yes. versus <laughs> female scientists. Yeah, it'll be interesting to yeah. see.
1: Well, let's find out. Mm. In 1872, Beatrix's younger brother bertram is born
0: <laughs> i love that you paused and laughed. <laughs> actually it is kind of a funny name <laughs> the awkward pause <laughs> uh, bertram is born. Bertram is very british as <laughs> it's well it's so british
1: we're going to be encountering a lot of very british names throughout this that's episode that's why i
0: had this as the episode to start you off with
1: you, you know how to pander i give you that mm. beatrix suited the oldest sibling royal, well and bertram was a lifelong supporter of her including illustrating some of her most famous characters in her books. Both of them enjoyed nature quite a lot and, bo- and had quite the menagerie of pets, including mice, rabbits, dogs, cats, birds, and even insects. So it makes me surprised she wasn't interested in entomology. I know, yeah. yeah. I'm, because I'm, I, I don't she... see why else you'd collect insects as a kid other than to become <laughs> an entomologist. <laughs>
0: exactly. I don't know, to be yeah. honest.
1: Oh, interesting. Anyway, their mother, Helen Potter, was a very controlling woman who demanded the time and attention of her children. Her controlling attitude probably affected Beatrix's own personality and how she viewed herself. Besides surrounding herself with animals or spending time in the gardens or meadows, Beatrix was also fond of wandering around the Natural History Museum of South Kensington, which, you know, who can blame her? Yeah, it's so pretty.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. Ugh. Where she'd learn about fossils and minerals, the Potter family took summer holidays up near Scotland... And Beatrix would often draw the countryside around her, learning more about the plants and animals native to her area. In 1882, the Potters could no longer afford to go to so- Scotland, tragically, for their holidays. Instead, they moved their holidays to the Lake District near Ray Castle, which, I don't know, that doesn't seem like that much of a downgrade to me. But...
0: I know, yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's just the distance or whatnot. Like... It's
1: closer, isn't that better?
0: <laughs> no, but I mean like the distance as far as like getting away from society. Hmm. I don't know, I
1: feel like you must be far away from society going to the Lake District anyway. Exactly. But who am I to judge? It was during this time and before that Beatrix created several sketchbooks full of her beautiful drawings. She became an avid student in natural history. Her sketchbooks were organized into two columns. One column on the page would give a physical description of subjects she was drawing, and the other made observations about the sub- about the subjects. Very scientific. Very scientific. Yeah. I was really it's surprised. very analytical. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah so yeah yeah, go Beatrix way to go man
1: (laughs) with this method Beatrix studied birds eggs and caterpillars it was around this time that Beatrix began writing a journal about her life in it Beatrix gives very little information about her life but does give bits about the Victorian society that she grew up in the journals end in 1897 when Beatrix is fully engaged in intellectual endeavours No, it's very relatable as well Yeah. yeah
0: if you're too busy to write you're too busy to write no
1: it's something like I feel quite sad about as well like I kind of wonder how bad she feels about it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Later. (laughs) I probably should have documented all this. Whoops.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mm. I mean, you know, we're making this podcast. you not consider us?
0: Mm. Seriously, not helpful at all.
1: So besides sketching natural landscapes, she also loved to sketch animals. Rabbits were were one of her favorites to draw, and she began making serious studies of them in 1880, drawing them in all sorts of positions for accuracy. These would later be inspirations for her most famous book.
0: I wonder why. (laughs)
1: <laughs> In the mid-1880s, Beatrix lost several family relatives, including her grandfather. That's Aww. Yeah, that's... Sad. At the, time, brother, Beatrim, <laughs> <his name> <laughs> At the same time, her younger brother, Bertram was sent to a private school.
0: Are you just going to start pronouncing his name Beatrim?
1: How am I supposed to pronounce it?
0: Bertram. Bertram. Okay, just Bert?
1: Bertram.
0: Bertram.
1: At the same time, her younger brother, Bertram, was sent to a private school. Beatrix wasn't allowed to go to a private school because she was a woman, and women rarely achieved higher education. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not going to say anything.
0: <laughs> Same. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: because of her brother's absence and loss of family members, Beatrix became very depressed. Her depression only got worse due to her mother's controlling behavior. Beatrix found solace in traveling on her own. And, yeah, you know, I was thinking this is, seems to be quite a common theme amongst scientists, like, you know, do you th- do you think that? Like...
0: For depression. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Like, I don't know if it's that whole lack of emotional connection thing Mm. that a lot of scientists have where it just it causes them Mm -hmm. to feel like they don't have connections with people and then they get depressed. I think for Mm -hmm. Beatrix specifically, though, it's just the combination Mm. of all these Mm. and then just feeling probably alone as her place in Victorian society being a woman. You know, she's so intellectual and is being held back multiple times due to her status. So I feel like that would make anybody depressed.
1: I think it must I feel like the mother must play a big part in here though because yeah you know, she like expects if that's your so if that's your only cru- if that's your only person that you can turn to and then she's just controlling manipulating you constantly like exactly in that sense I don't think that's that's fair that's a fairly common experience unfortunately like
0: yeah I wonder if maybe like if Beatrix had <clears throat> any sisters, if that would have changed her view because yeah. then she would have had like a female confidant in a sense. As yeah, but then mother? you
1: have to consider sisters be also brought up in that, in yeah. that family dynamic. Yeah. So, no, it's yeah. true. It's true. I mean, it would have been nice if she had like a little women kind of thing going on. <laughs> <stuff> like, <laughs> you and yeah.
0: little women. Hey, For those I, I love Greta know, Gerwig, okay? okay? Like, I, For I will of stand who her. those you don't know, <laughs> Matthew has seen the movie twice?
1: Yeah, well, once on my own. Then my girlfriend said, got annoyed that I saw it on my own, so I ah, went to see it with her again.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Did you even read. Luis no Mayal, i didn't actually <laughs> you got to read the book man
1: yeah i've got to read a lot of books don't i yes you do yeah
0: yeah we're trying to help matthew get educated
1: it, yeah it's because i've never read like I, I don't read books i refuse them i silly. know yeah. yeah
0: seriously terrible
1: she reads too much for that i'm though i just i'm just like a rig- certain <laughs> author we're covering today no I, enough, I did actually. not say that <laughs> I, that, I I'm uh, uh, I am trying to a joke. raise yeah. the
0: literacy rate one person at a time, and you're just not working with me.
1: can't believe the <laughs> Americans are trying to raise the literacy level.
0: Mm, terrible, I know. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. You never expect it from us, which is why it'll work.
1: I, I have nothing to say. Okay. <laughs> right.
0: Back to Beatrix Potter.
1: Okay, so in 1899, a 19-year-old Beatrix began enjoying more social freedoms, thank God. Yeah, including so visiting the Globe Theatre and exhibitions at Kensington Gardens, which there is where the Science Museum and the V&A Museum is found. For Yay. those of you who don't know, her last governess left on her twentieth birthday. Th- Wait, oh bloody hell! Yep. Her last governess left on her twentieth birthday at a party. What?
0: Yep. Just like see ya, peeps. I, I'm out.
1: <laughs> Actually, well, I think it was
0: more of like you're now twenty. You're an adult, so you don't need a governess.
1: I mean, yeah, I, I, okay, that makes more sense. But still, just like at a party, that's a bit of <laughs> Happy wait birthday till, and leave. Like at least wait till after the party. Like I just imagine bringing cake, and like "Happy Birthday, see you." Like what? <laughs> Why?
0: I, I don't know what to tell you.
1: Wow, this is this has been quite an emotional roller coaster mm, already. Yeah. Okay, Beatrix wrote in a diary for her event. My education finished 9th of July. However, Beatrix continued education in her own way by continuing to explore the subjects that fascinate her, such as fossils and biology. In fact, Beatrix even experimented on a couple of her schoolroom pets. Yep. That's that's quite dark. For our readers. Yeah, this, Gosh, is quite, this is quite a dark <laughs> paragraph, I've got to say. Her brother... Her brother... <laughs> her brother... <laughs>
0: this is just going to be an ongoing Jesus. joke. Yeah.
1: This is the best. Her brother Bertram had left two long-eared bats in her care, and Beatrix caught... Co- chloroform one, one stuffed it according to bertram's directions <sighs>
0: i'm actually kind of surprised she's a children's author after
1: that <laughs> i mean children if you read like children's stuff it's surprisingly dark like it is and i, I remember oh, doing like the grimm's like tales and grimm's stuff fairy like fairy tales or in alice English. in wonderland yeah
0: or, you know wizard of oz absolutely <clears throat> like well plus like just some of the child authors, their stories are so yeah. messed up.
1: Yeah, and even when they're not messed up, they usually, like, rolled up. <laughs> like exactly. They've usually got their own issues to work through.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Beatrix also used Bertram's old microscopes to draw the details of many rush- mushrooms and other plant specimens she had. She would also study insects for hours, noticing the butterfly colours and the hairs of the spider. Very, yeah. very intricate. But,
0: That's... like, I don't... I haven't seen, and maybe it's just I need to do more research. But I haven't seen any of her drawings on insects, like
1: uh, really. Yeah, like she. That's a she, shame.
0: She just has drawings from her books, of course, that she yeah. illustrated. But then she has all these beautiful plant drawings in watercolor, but nothing on insects. That's
1: that's a real shame. Yeah, like, that would have been, ni- been really nice to, to see. see. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, Beatrix, fascinated by mycology, met Charles Macintosh, who would later become a lifelong friend and confidant of hers. Macintosh's note was a well-known amateur mycologist, and helped Beatrix further understand the world of fungi. He helped her develop better accuracy in her drawings of mushroom caps and to- and toadstools. Beatrix wrote in her diary, "Now of all hopeless things to draw, I should think the very worst is a fine fat fungus." I'm not quite. My sure. my She's... professor would not be pleased with that <laughs> remark, <I know>. Beatrix. <laughs> she
0: must she must be really sarcastic.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I I starting to get that impression. I have to Same. say.
0: Same. She has that woody sense of
1: humour. <laughs> By this time, Beatrix ha- had already um, had her first drawings published in the form of Christmas and New Year's cards. So, is, is, Sorry, is that the fungal spores and everything? Is, is,
0: I think it was actually just her landscape drawings. Okay, I was going to say a, fung- yeah, yeah. a fungus
1: New Year's card would be... <laughs> Happy New I mean, Year! I mean, I wouldn't mind that, but mushrooms. that's quite a niche market, I have to say. It is, yeah. yeah, it's
0: really niche.
1: But whilst Beatrix is proud of her card, she continued to focus on her fungi, as it was common during the Victorian era for women to draw plants and study them. Since women couldn't get a higher education and had more time to themselves whilst raising a family, many women enjoyed learning and drawing plants.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. They're doing a lot of gardening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember my mum saying once that, although she loves, like, the fact that she has a job and family and everything, she wished she had some time for her hobbies as well, so... Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. quite interesting how, how that's played out in some ways. Okay, so for Beatrix, painting and drawing fungi became something of an obsession. She looked for beautiful specimens wherever she could. She never saw art as science as two separate activities, but tried to record what she saw in the purest form to get a response. Beatrix wanted to be challenged more, and asked Macintosh to teach her the botanical names of her specimens so she could understand their ev- evolutionary relationships. McIntosh sent her various specimens he had collected and taught her species names. Very nice of him. Yeah.
0: No, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Really nice guy, yeah. as far as just like not fighting yeah. against her need yeah, for more no, education. That's,
1: that's good, yeah. It's yeah. good that she actually had someone that you know Helped gave her, her that support yeah. but this wasn't enough for beatrix as she continues to learn more plant taxonomy the only reference book she had was the colored figures of english fungal mm. mushrooms by james sowerby how do you say that
0: i don't know either james
1: Sowerby. my apologies to the ancestors and anyone <laughs> who, who's affiliated with that name it had over 400 colored illustrations so really yeah. pretty probably yeah.
0: expensive too <laughs> But, I mean, her family well. I
1: mean, yeah, so she can at least afford it. Yeah. But, yeah. Beatrix was not satisfied with this reference book or or her only other source material, the preserved specimens of the Natural History Museum. She was also upset because no one in the museum could give her any information about the fungi she wanted. Instead, she realized she would have to go to Kew Gardens in order to get her answers.
0: Dun, dun, dun! The Odyssey, the Odyssey begins. In
1: 1893, Beatrix found a, a rare pine cone fungus whilst traveling up in Scotland. <laughs> she knew that the queue had very strict policies about letting women into her, into their offices and libraries, but she reasoned that if she showed them her newly found fungus, hopefully they grant her a student pass and let her in. While she drew the fungus for preservation, she also came up with a most famous story about a disobedient young rabbit named Peter.
0: Surprise me. Yeah. Pose. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Did she, like, have an ex-boyfriend named Peter that she was like, I'm just gonna make this the main character of my book?
1: That that's an interesting way to get back at your boyfriend actually i was gonna say she actually had a real
0: rabbit named peter years before we talked about earlier in the podcast kenna yep exactly one of her pets that she did not chloroform (laughs) was named peter
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i'm glad it was the non-chloroform one long the non-chloroform one that would have been some very interesting psychoanalysis there
0: imagine being her mother and like walking in on beatrix chloroforming her animals
1: Well, we did say kids' stories could be quite dark, so, you know, there you go. go. Beatrix based the character of Mr. McGregor, the gardener who scares Peter Rabbit away on Macintosh, (laughs) who was helping her in her quest to get into Kew Gardens.
0: To be fair, it was just his physical appearance. (laughs) (laughs) No, his That's quite
1: mean, like, Oh, hey, I've given you all the support. Now I'm going to write you in as this <laughs> villain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, no, it's just his uh, the physical attributes. <sighs> I also remember reading that she couldn't actually draw people very well. So this is where Bertram drew him.
1: Oh, right. Interesting. And so the just, collaboration. Yeah, yeah. yeah and really so he just based
0: in. the physical appearance off of one of her really close friends. Ah oh, well, yeah.
1: now she... Now, it's kind of ironic that a lot of the best supports actually come from men. I know, yeah, yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's internalized misogyny for
0: mm, you, I guess. I guess, yeah. yeah.
1: But in but in any case, between eighteen four and eighteen ninety five, Beatrix made an impressive 73 fungal drawings, sent them to Macintosh for discussion about accuracy and fungal reproduction. Beatrix hoped that by drawing more fungi, she could learn how they reproduce. She continued hunting for new specimens to draw and study, though she was often plagued by ticks. She admitted in her journal that she had... An average of 70 bytes, but sometimes beyond counting. Ouch. Quite literally, ouch, yeah. In 1896, Beatrix made a total of 52 fungi drawings, especially focusing on the microscopic studies. She realised in her drawings that fungi reproduce by other ways than sporing. In fact, what Beatrix had discovered was mycelium, which is a vegetative body around a fungus that uses fibres known as hyphae to spread its body elsewhere in the ground. Mycelium would not be discovered for a few years, but amateur beatrix had easily stumbled upon it hmm makes you think doesn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah. like
0: clearly i don't know whether it was just her obsessiveness about fungi or just her her need yeah. to be really accurate in her drawings but she got lucky
1: i mean yeah cuz we were saying about how she was unique in the sense that she combined her artistic and scientific endeavors and you know she, you know would well, she have made the discovery if she hadn't had that approach Right, yeah. or
0: if there was a way for her to make it more public, like
1: yeah, or even, yeah,
0: I don't know if like we would have recognized her earlier than now currently as a mm-hmm. scientist. It's something yeah. to think about. But then
1: I guess I feel like there might be a different element because science is very, very institutionalized now. Exactly. Like you know, if she hadn't got a, if she hadn't gone through the system, and got a PhD, you know, which you know, would she have not been recognized as well for diff- maybe for slightly different reasons? Though there is yeah or there just, is also like the you know institutionalized sexism within scientific education stuff, but
0: right. It also makes me wonder like maybe she almost caused her own downfall as a scientist because she is so famous as an author, that like she's almost too famous in a sense. So like if she tried to do anything else it would just overshadow that everyone
1: likes a renaissance person though don't they
0: that's fair although
1: i guess it's renaissance men usually but
0: yeah no i was i was just meaning like if she became a scientist and then she became a famous author as opposed to the other way around
1: oh okay you know what i mean Hmm. i don't know yeah um
0: it's something to think about
1: yeah that's interesting like kind of hard to yeah hard to answer that
0: no definitely so beatrix continued her knowledge of fungal spores and decided in 1897 to share her drawings and ideas with the botanist at Kew for approval Kew gardens dun 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 was also called imperial Kew at the time by the victorian society and it was a very tight circle of scientists who were related by family or patronage and even though it's pretty obvious they were all <laughs> men and white I'm <laughs> and I'm pretty shocked. well off yeah So the director of this tight circle was William Turner Thistleton Dyer. (laughs) He was an expert on tropical plants and strengthened the garden's importance to the British Empire by expanding plant collections. So, you know, the British Empire would go out and conquer a colony and they would bring all these plants back for Q.
1: Nice little science imperialism relationship there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, he's capitalizing on it, clearly. So, Dyer wasn't the only one Beatrix had to impress, unfortunately. She also decided to try to look into the highbrow Linnaean Society of London, which promoted natural history. This society was the first specialist scientifically learned society after the Royal Society was created, and Beatrix hoped to get a paper she had written of her observations read at the society, but unfortunately, the society was, again, all white rich males
1: again i'm shocked
0: <laughs> as as you should be <laughs> surprise surprise but no women were even allowed to attend society meetings let alone read their own work at the society so she had that's, almost near impossible yeah, chance of getting in
1: jesus that's yeah that's a lot of Which barriers.
0: is yeah it's really sad i wonder like it makes me think like how many other women during this time possibly had like discoveries or observations that they mm. had hoped to share but were silenced by things like this
1: I imagine there's just countless. Yeah, And that's not even considering the standard of education.
0: Exactly. Which is sad, but...
1: Which probably locks out many women who probably had the capabilities but just never could realize them.
0: Right. Or, like,
1: fine-tune them or however you would put it. Yeah, Yeah. no,
0: definitely. It's sad, but it, it makes sense for the Victorian society, I suppose. So Beatrix decided because it would be really, really hard to get into either Q or the Linnaean Society. She decided to ask for help from Q cryptom Oh, gosh. Cryptogamist and Principal Assistant George Massey.
1: Nice work with the pronunciations.
0: Thank you. I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Massey helped her to get a student pass into Q Gardens as well as finalize her paper for the Linnaean Society. So, I clearly, like, she made a really good impression on this guy.
1: Yeah, but... At Q. But that... uh, From what I can guess that probably wasn't quite enough.
0: Yeah, clearly. So Beatrix also showed her drawings and notes to director Thistleton Dyer, who brushed off her work due to her female status, of course. He did actually authorize her student pass, though, into Kew Gardens, but tried to avoid her after that. Not surprising.
1: Um, Okay. That's... That's another level, passive-aggressive.
0: I wonder if it's almost for him, like, a uh, public relations thing. Like, oh, we're letting women in, blah, blah, blah. Would but there
1: have been a lot to gain from that, though, at the time? I don't
0: know. Yeah, exactly. Maybe and it's, like, more for funding or donations.
1: Hmm. This, I don't know. This is, yeah.
0: Something to look into. This is into. interesting, yeah. Yeah. So Beatrix cons- uh, continued her correspondence with Massey to discuss the mycelium that she had found, but found that Massey knew very little about it. So she was really frustrated about that and decided to grow her own mycelium in her kitchen, but found that it wasn't really a sterile environment, of course. <laughs> so Macintosh had taught her really certain techniques for sterilizing microscope slides, and Beatrix hoped that this might help her to better find the mycelium of the fungi she was studying.
1: From what it sounds, it sounds like she didn't even need the Royal Society.
0: Yeah, not really. I think it was honestly just to get into Q to see like what they knew. Yeah. And if her discovery would actually make a good impression. Yeah. Which clearly she infiltrated them very well. <laughs> so in 1897, Beatrix believed that after months of studying the mycelium using the sterile slides and a more powerful microscope, she had enough evidence to take to Thistleton Dyer at Kew and try to convince him that these things existed and this is how fungi reproduced. She asked her uncle, who was well connected in scientific circles, to try to explain to Thistleton Dyer that he should look at her drawings and paper because clearly, from earlier experience, mm-hmm. This guy had brushed her off.
1: Yeah. It sounds like the only way, yeah.
0: Yeah. Is trying to get a man on your side to promote it to another man. Cool. <laughs> With a thumping heart, she reached Kew Gardens and tried to leave the letter and her drawings in Thistleton Dyer's office, but had a panic attack and fled the building.
1: That's, that's a real shame. Aww. Yeah.
0: A few days later, Beatrix decided that she had to try again. And I'm just curious, like, from the panic attack like uh, clearly she was honest about writing about it in her journal like i'm wondering if that makes her more human because Mm. unless like less of a scientist in the traditional sense because she is honest about her feelings and doesn't like try to hide them like she has quite a bit of self-esteem but clearly this also shows like a side of her where she is frightened and she is really scared and she doesn't Mm. know what's going to happen and this panic attack happens and then she leaves
1: i guess being being not a formal scientist she never had she she was never taught to behave in a certain way or like think in a certain way, so that probably allowed her to be more honest about you know her panic attack and her general anxieties than probably like any scientist any any like yeah so it probably allowed her to be more honest than any of the scientists like that were you know studying around the time
0: yeah probably yeah. and
1: even like probably years later in in ways because I don't think that attitude has really left science or didn't leave science for a long time right it's yeah.
0: almost if you come in from science as an amateur that you yeah. keep your emotions with you yeah in a sense as opposed well, to well because
1: to be professional you have to be you know really just divorced from your human unattached. emotional side yeah
0: yeah. so no that is just really interesting so clearly Beatrix is human or at least shows a human side to her which is really yeah
1: which is I like that yeah it's really I refreshing like that too. Yeah. it's
0: really it makes her sympathetic as a person yeah Besides her, you know, she clearly is sympathetic anyway for being a children's author and whatnot, but it makes her more sympathetic as a scientist.
1: And as we found out, arguably made her a better scientist because, you know, it made her embrace her drawings and her artistic side more, which was really useful for her research. So, exactly. You know,
0: exactly. So, Beatrix, after having this panic attack, convinced herself that she needed to go back and face Thistleton Dyer again. And while she was you know screwing up her courage to do this she recorded in her diary that she had this really interesting idea about lichens which are a moss type plant she believed that lichens had to be a hybrid organism part algae and part plant in order to survive in extreme environments with little water it's really unfortunate that Beatrix's discovery was only recorded in her diary because she was completely right about this but it would only be found decades later and it's really weird yeah. to think about that like algae and plants work together as a hybrid organism but it actually... I always,
1: yeah, always love that. Like, yeah, it actually yeah.
0: makes sense, and it, it clearly works, but... And
1: this is also another good example of where, like, scientific institutions have kind of, like, shot themselves in the foot by right. being so overtly sexist. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Like, it just would have been really, really interesting if she was able to promote that, like, how that would have advanced science. Yeah. I don't know. It's just something to think about. So... After this Lyken's idea and after, you know, gaining enough courage, Beatrix, on December 7th in 1897, returned to Kew Gardens and was determined to speak to Thistleton Dyer and convince him to read her paper. She decided to stay as long as it would take until she had a meeting with him in person. And Thistleton Dyer kept her waiting. Oh. Yeah.
1: I'm not surprised, given that... Seriously. He just wanted to avoid her. He sounds like the most passive-aggressive person ever. I think
0: so, honestly. Like, I
1: mean... He's, he's got a British name, a very British <laughs> name, so I guess that makes, that's why, but.
0: Of course, of course. So the clerks at Kew Gardens worked around her as she read the newspaper, waiting for hours, and final, finally Thistleton Dyer did make an appearance, but he was in a hurry and clearly prepared to dismiss her as soon as he could. But Beatrix, with new courage, told him about her paper, and he dismissed her ideas as being above her as a woman and didn't even look at her drawings, he just kind of brushed her off. Oh, wow. Which, I honestly, this next part just makes me really happy, because Beatrix, angry at being rebuffed by the director of Kew Gardens, told him that her ideas would be in all the botany books in the coming years, whether he liked it or not, and she left giggling like in a good mood that's
1: that's a power move i I yeah i
0: i respect that too like clearly this is not the same woman who had a panic attack a few days before like she has found her self-confidence yeah
1: i don't know if i'd be able to build up my confidence from
0: same panic
1: to laughing at laughing at your face in like three three four days or something
0: right (laughs) exactly so of course Thistleton dyer did not approve of beatrix's attitude towards him (laughs) surprise surprise and wrote to her uncle complaining about her visit and Beatrix was worried that the director of Q would revoke her student pass into Q Gardens and that she would stop, you know, talking to people there about her discoveries and trying to get more information. But surprisingly, Thistleton Dyer did not revoke her license, but Beatrix did notice that her presence was not welcome. In fact, whenever she saw Thistleton Dyer approaching, she often hid behind bushes.
1: <laughs> so your average sitcom, sit- <laughs> like, sketch, basically, I kind at this
0: of want to would want to see that like this very very <laughs> famous children's author hides behind a bush to avoid the director of oh my gardens. God. uh somebody needs to make a comic of this please <laughs> <laughs> So Beatrix continued to work with George Massey who had helped her earlier to revise her paper in order to send it to the Linnaean Society since Thistleton Dyer had revoked it. And she decided since clearly there was so much she could do with Q and she had kind of burned the bridge there that she had to move to the Linnaean Society if she Mm -hmm. wanted to get anything read. Mm -hmm. So as we already talked about women could not promote their papers within the society so George Massey promoted it and read it to the society. However, Beatrix, while this was being read, looked over her conclusions to the paper and believed that her samples of mycelium were contaminated and withdrew the paper before it could be judged or published by the society.
1: That, I mean, that, I mean, that she withdrew it, like... I'm really yeah. proud of her.
0: Like, I think she, clearly she has that scientific mindset. Yeah. of Like, it has to be perfect. It has to be sterile.
1: Well, I'm just thinking, um, I don't know. I guess a lot of scientists would do that just for their reputation, but still, like...
0: Yeah, it takes a lot of guts. I to mean, do after that.
1: like everything she's been through, I, I could see her just being like, "No, I'm, I'm." i'm done with this i'm just putting it out there right and then i'll just do it again or something i don't know i wonder if like yeah. she
0: was scared of being revoked in a sense like again of like yeah. people just being like well this is contaminated why would you send this to us
1: yeah no, actually no that's a good point that's probably true
0: uh, just just the threshold yeah. so much higher for her exactly so beatrix's paper on the germination of spores of the agarinsiniae which is a mm. mushroom type <laughs> Either as it was submitted to the Linnaean Society or later revised, has never ever been found. So all we have for her records of this paper are Massey's journals and Beatrix's journals.
1: That, we will never wow. like
0: people have never found this paper. Which is why it's been taking us so long to realize Beatrix is a scientist.
1: Oh, well, that's that's a real shame. It isn't is a real it? shame.
0: Yeah. So most scholars believe that This paper was destroyed inadvertently and clearly has not yet been recovered, unfortunately. How do
1: you? I'm just trying to think. How how do you inadvertently? Yeah.
0: I wonder if maybe, like, the way I'm thinking of it is because Beatrix is so hands on with her work, is maybe she got, like, a ton of dirt on it or accidentally, like, dropped it in water or something. Yeah, I'm just thinking
1: someone put it in the bin by mistake or something (laughs) like that. Or by mistake. By mistake. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Cough, cough, Thistleton Dire. cough, cough. <laughs> Kidding. But yeah, hopefully we find it one of these days because that would yeah. be amazing.
1: It'd be interesting to see how much she got right. That, right, or like, or like if she
0: had notes on it or yeah. anything like that, like what her thought process was.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So Beatrix's withdrawal of the paper clearly shows that she took pride in her work, as we talked about, and she wanted to be acknowledged, but there's really no evidence that she wanted to be recognized by the scientific community as a mycologist. That's which,
1: really interesting. Yeah. yeah,
0: like I'm curious because like is it fair then, like clearly Beatrix has done the work, she's done the science mm-hmm. is it fair to call her a scientist if she doesn't want to be recognised as one or is she more just of an amateur scientist like I mm. I don't know which category I would put her in
1: I, I, I'm i just thinking how much does it matter really, like having That's the true. label like if she's doing, she's doing the work which is rigorous enough to to be published and stuff then she, you know and then her knowledge is going to is contribute to the scientific to our scientific pool of knowledge then I wouldn't really be bothered about what to label her right she was like, clearly good at what she was clearly good at what she did yeah and, it was, and had she been recognized, it would have really helped our understanding of mycology, so
0: true, or maybe yeah. you know it's just she didn't care, so why should we in a sense yeah. I don't know
1: maybe I don't know did she identify more as an author like, like
0: clearly we'd like, have to ask her I could unfortunately have. we can't
1: <laughs> I wonder if because science scientist is very you know it's a very you know
0: label centric.
1: Yeah, so, um, like, science is very, like, um, in, it's, like, very tied to, like, scientific institutions. So maybe sure. wonder if her experience, like, being rebuffed constantly due to, like, their sexism and them just being weird. Oh, fair enough, Like, yeah. maybe she just wanted to renounce herself of all of that.
0: That would make sense. Hmm. Absolutely. Like, she wants no part of it, yeah. in a sense. So, Beatrix, feeling... Unfortunately, defeated by the community at Kew Gardens, and of course after withdrawing her paper from the Linnaean Society, moves her talents from scientific circles into literary circles. On October second, nineteen O two, her very famous book, The Tale of Peter Rabbit, was published. After Beatrix gave several years of revisions after moving from mycology to
1: so you still have, fiction. You still have that meticulous. Yeah, clearly like, to her.
0: yeah, clearly she <coughs> wants to make sure it's perfect. So the book, of course, was an immediate success, partly due to her illustrations. Beatrix wrote two other books quickly after Peter Rabbit, and both were also highly successful. Beatrix was starting to gain quite a bit of money and fame, of course, within the London area, and using her intelligence and ingenuity, became a successful businesswoman by patenting her own Peter Rabbit dolls.
1: Was she, like, one of the first people to do this? Yeah, she was, actually. Yeah, she just. I think this was, if I remember right, this is around the time the first teddy bear was invented mm-hmm, as well. So exactly. I think this was, yeah. So that's it's really, really in, forward thinking. Really yeah. forward
0: thinking and almost coincidental in a way. <laughs> so in truth, the dolls being sold at Harrods, which was a fam- <laughs> de- famous department <laughs> store in London, she thought were really ugly and not true to her character oh. Peter Rabbit, and that's oh. why she made her own dolls. <laughs> She's like, she literally wrote in her journal. She was like, these are really ugly. I need to make my own dolls. <laughs> <laughs> so she decided to patent her own doll mm-hmm. and clearly gain money from it.
1: I mean, yeah. Which worked for her. Do it just for the money as is as yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. As her fame grew, Beatrix began lines of other merchandise based off her books, adding to her wealth, including, I believe, wallpaper, which is kind of interesting for like nurseries and stuff like hmm. that. Yeah. So way to go. Like, yeah. she's just thinking about it. And trying to do the business side of things.
1: She's just, it's, like, it's like it was made for Disney or something. Yeah, <laughs>
0: she's like the pre-Disney Disney, yeah. <laughs> in a sense. So Beatrix, for a while, had been smitten with one of her publishers, dun-dun-dun, oh. Norman <laughs> Wayne. Yeah, this is where her scandal comes into her life, which honestly Ooh, no. people oh, no. never hear about, and it's not that big of a scandal.
1: Oh, that's, that's a surprise, actually. I thought this would be used to drag a name through the dirt.
0: No, 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 no. Like, so this would be like a... Very few people, yeah. I think, when you look up Beatrix Potter, like this is one of the things they try to blow out of proportion where they're like, oh my gosh, she fell in love with her publisher. <gasps> <laughs> but it's really not that big of a deal. So Norman Wayne was the guy she fell in love with, and he was about seven years older than her and her parents objected to the match because Wayne was a tradesman working in a trade publishing <laughs> and therefore was below her class dun, dun,
1: dun. a trades a tradesman <laughs> <laughs> if you work then you're too good, you're not good enough for me like what is this as
0: opposed to today where it's like what's your job oh yeah. i'm unemployed oh you yeah. you're, too, you're no, not it's worthy like,
1: like how people like Everyone wants to date rich, like, exactly. successful business people. <laughs>
0: exactly. So Beatrix actually did end up becoming engaged to Wayne in 1905, but only for a month as he tragically died of anemia at the age of
1: 37. Oh, wow. So... seeing some, We're seeing some uh, early life yeah. tragedy here come back.
0: Exactly. Like, I wonder if she almost had some PTSD in a sense, because right after the death, she moved up to the Lake District to start learning how to farm. Like, she didn't stay in London anymore.
1: It was interesting she moved back to the place where of liked childhood or or adolescence or whatever you want to call it
0: exactly like it was just really peaceful so in 1912 after several years of a close working relationship william helis her local solicitor asked beatrix to marry him and she agreed oh yeah and helis of course like had been managing her property while beatrix was making her big move to Mm -hmm. the lake district from london which Victorians really didn't move around that much. Like, they, they had a couple homes. Well, I guess in it's different very hard places. to move around, especially
1: right. and if, if you're, you're rich. And I you've was got just going to say,
0: you've got loads of stuff. Yeah. Beatrix is very wealthy and very famous. So, clearly, she has a bunch of stuff with her, plus, like, her garden and her animals and all yeah. this stuff. So, you know, it's really nice to have somebody like Helis to kind of oversee one of her properties mm-hmm. while she gets everything ready to move.
1: Yeah, that's And, good. That's, you know, yeah. they end up
0: getting married. So, that's nice.
1: Nice that something works out for her.
0: Yeah. So in 1914, Rupert Potter, Beatrix's dad, died. And Beatrix, who, as we talked about, was very wealthy, convinced her mother, Helen, to move out to the Lake District to be closer to her, which is good. Like, I think she was yeah. taking that maternal role in a sense. So Beatrix, while farming, also continued to write stories for her publisher. And she continued to write stories up until her death. Of course, none of well, them are well, as I was, famous as Tales of the to I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, no. But she did write a couple almost did autobiographies. Did she just stick to...
1: Okay, I was going to ask, did she stick or does she experiment with genres? Or?
0: No, they're mostly all children's books. Um, mm-hmm. Even like her autobiographies have like a children's twist on them, so they'll have like fairies and stuff like that in there.
1: Oh, nice. So
0: they're very whimsical, yeah. So, so Beatrix, yeah. while she's writing and farming, became interested in breeding and raiding her Herdwick sheep, which are sheep indigenous to the Lake District and oh. had been slowly farmed out just because of the rising industrialism mm-hmm. so in 1923 beatrix bought a large sheep farm in Troutbeck valley which had previously been a deer park and restored the land with thousands of indigenous sheep clearly this shows like she was interested in conservation mm-hmm. of natural areas mm-hmm. being close with the first secretary and founding member of the national trust for places of historic interest or national beauty
1: that's, that's which is also <laughs>
0: which is also just now today called The National Trust, (laughs) which kind of makes more sense. I
1: mean, it's also, it's just too long.
0: (laughs) It's really long. So, but it's really nice to know, like, Beatrix, and I think she should have realized this way earlier, but, like, her love for natural beauty and history and plants clearly moves into Mm. conservation. And, like, she could have been a way bigger Mm. conservationist if she had realized that she could do that.
1: Yeah, that's a real sh- yeah, that's a real shame. I don't
0: know. I just find that interesting. This is when
1: we're really starting to destroy our countryside and exactly our, our natural, our, na- our natural resource. No, not natural resources, but our natural sites. I guess. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So I feel like she's one of those like unsung conservationists, very yeah. early conservationists that you just yeah. never hear about which it's is a really shame we
1: don't it's a shame we don't have her now, to be honest to help yeah
0: us. she, she yeah. beatrix come back we need <laughs> you <laughs> can we just resurrect her <laughs> well,
1: yeah i'm just trying like how many big names are there who push for british conservation like
0: true yeah. yeah it's really hard to find those people so yeah but beatrix of course is one of those early people and she helped maintain mm. several areas of natural landscape for the national trust when it first was getting started which is huge yeah So and I find it fabulous like she keeps returning to the land, which is really, really good. So Beatrix and William Helis, of course, enjoyed a happy marriage of 30 years, continuing their farming and conservation efforts, even through the hard days of World War II, which I find fabulous. Like clearly she had that motivation to stay and keep doing stuff. Unfortunately, Beatrix is no longer around with us she died of complications from pneumonia and heart disease on the 22nd of december 1943 at castle cottage and her remains were cremated at the carlton crematorium <laughs> why are just, you laughing
1: you just said it like as if no one knew she like she's you still said, alive
0: you, unfortunately you said she's it no like david
1: bowie us. just died or something I know,
0: i'm sorry <laughs> sorry i should make that more serious it's fine anyway She left nearly all of her property to the National Trust, including over 4,000 acres, or 16 kilometers squared, of land, 16 farms, cottages, and herds of cattle, and Herdwick sheep.
1: I'm just trying to think how she managed all of that. I, I
0: don't know, to be honest, like she loved nature but maybe she like hired a bunch of like farm yeah. hands and stuff well, i mean
1: like yeah you can't walk i feel like you can't like inspect 16 kilometers of land every day
0: that's crazy yeah. yeah hers was of course the largest gift at the time to the national trust and it enabled the preservation of land now included in the lake district national park and the continuation of farming so good for her yeah very nice yeah no we wouldn't have that without beatrix potter And she is still, of course, one of the most widely read authors of today, whether by children or adults. Just
1: in case you didn't know. As we keep mentioning. Just in case you're going to confuse the other Potter. Yes,
0: seriously. The one that we do not mention.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They must not be named. Yes
0: only recently has beatrix's work as an amateur scientist and conservationist been looked at and hopefully we'll find that paper that we keep talking about (laughs) it may be Mm -hmm. possible in the future with more research that she hopefully becomes the status of a true scientist in history so we'll see so anyway that's it for today's episode uh again like share and subscribe and let us know what you think uh, I think our next episode, what, what would you like to do for a subject? Or well, I guess we'll figure it out
1: Yeah, later. we'll figure it out. Like, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Well, stay tuned. Thank you.